0: I'm Austin And I'm Anna And, and this, this is, is Grits Join us in reclaiming what it means to be girls raised in the South Mm-hmm. So let's get gritty <laughs> Alright, so
1: we, uh, this is Grits episode, I'm not quite sure what number, Anna, uh, but where are we? Six. We are. This is the first time we are not in the closet, ladies and gentlemen mm-hmm.
0: Where are we, Anna? We are in our producer's studio Today, because we have a very special guest, Dr. Carol Paris.
2: Hey, everybody! <laughs> this is
1: really exciting. This is our first guest that is not my mother. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just wish I was your mother. Aww. Aww. Well, you are. You are. Um, so uh, we we've been talking about having Dr. Paris on the on on our podcast for quite some time. As you know, Anna and I have covered. A you know broad spectrum of topics about healthcare from Medicare for all to talking about the AMA's role in um, you know abortion and eugenics things like that so you know some light some light subjects on the matter <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but we're so excited to be here um, so typically what we do is we give some life updates
0: and so uh, Anna do would you like to start? Sure. So I just bought a house and I'm moving in next week um, and I also turned 25 on Saturday. <gasps> Yay! You funny. couldn't birthday. pay me
2: to be 25 again. But Dr. Paris, yeah. how is uh 25 sounds really sweet and mm-hmm. awfully, <laughs> awfully young. And I'm <laughs> and I'm really hopeful that more of our 25-year-olds will be as knowledgeable as you are about health policy and what's going on in the state, in the country and the world. So
0: rock on 25 year olds. <laughs> Are you doing anything special for your birthday? Um, not really, except for celebrating uh, Casada resigning with you. Oh. Well, I guess that leads into my update. Thank you,
1: Anna. So the last episode we launched on Mother's Day. Uh, Happy Mother's Day to all the griddles, particularly our mothers for putting up with us for this amount of years. Thank you. (laughs) But uh, we last talked about the sit-in that occurred at the Capitol with the Enough is Enough group. And so since then, a lot of things have happened. But the last day of the legislative session, I ended up staging an action uh, in the House chamber and was carried out by state troopers screaming, resign, Casada. And lo and behold... <laughs> three and a half weeks later, he has indicated that he will actually resign. We're not quite sure because he's somewhere in Greece right now, probably hiding out. Still getting paid. Still getting paid on, <laughs> on with tax with dollars. With my tax dollars. Thank you, Thank you Dr. P. Uh, but uh, so what transpired in the—man, it seems like a, a flash moment, but uh, in those three weeks— uh, there was a lot of investigative reporting by Phil Williams, who's an investigative reporter with Channel 5 in Nashville, uh, regarding corruption, corruption I don't, I mean. uh, scandalous text messages, mm-hmm. inappropriate behavior, or references towards uh, female interns. And so we saw just. Everything, I felt incredibly vindicated. I just felt like as I was screaming, resign Cassida that three and a half weeks later to see him resign. Um, so my boyfriend, Chris Coleman, who you know, Told me before he resigned that if he did, we would have the biggest house party that Nashville has ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Yay! So lo and behold, he did, uh, and so our resigned Casada house party will be. Uh, it's a Saturday night. Anna will be in attendance. Doctor P is going to try to try to make it in from her tiny house conference, which we'll, she'll talk about in her updates. So, yeah, and we'll have uh, – the, the, every room will be themed. Uh, we're going to have a, a press corps scrum. Is it scrum? Mm-hmm. Is that the word? We're, so I'm going to hang pictures of all the press corps, and you're going to have to walk through them and dodge them like <laughs> Glenn Cassida, Speaker Cassida did. So it's going to be an interactive, exciting political event. And, you know, if you know me, you know I love theatrics, so you can expect the utmost theatrics at my house party.
2: Oh, I can't wait. I will get back in time (laughs) for it. (laughs) And my update is that I missed all of your wonderful activism in the last three weeks because I unplugged, for the most part, and took a bucket list road trip out west. (sighs) The only thing, news-wise, that I plugged into every morning was any article in the Tennessean on Cassada, oh. <laughs> So I did know that the shit was hitting the fan <laughs> <You're kidding. laughs>
1: for him. Literally, in the Tennessee legislature, that probably happened. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> did you hear about someone peed in a chair? Oh, my God. You saw that? No, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I missed that. Um, but I, I was overjoyed to read that that all of the activism... <sighs> has paid off that the even the, the Republicans finally could not risk continuing to support someone behaving in such a immoral, absolutely unethical way. And that just um canning Cade Cothran, was however you say his name wasn't going to be enough. Right. And I I just say hats off to you guys who m- were so integral in in making that happen.
1: Well, thank you. I mean, we yeah it was it was a collective effort i mean really on behalf of all the organizations and all the activists and just you know mm-hmm. speaking truth to power the entire time and so as someone uh, i'm looking at a fellow activist myself so that that means a lot thank you um so you were in the wilderness, roughing uh, it. I
2: was was in it a the bear girls type thing? Were you Were was, you skinning I, snakes and then eating I w- <laughs> them? Bear, bear. <laughs> I was not quite okay. doing that. In fact, I didn't even um, break down and buy bear spray. although I did go hiking a couple <laughs> of times with friends who did have bear spray, and my last day in Yellowstone, I spent forty five minutes watching a grizzly bear mom and her yearling just playing on the hillside. It was absolutely amazing. And I camped in a friend's camper, um, basically just a, a Dodge Ram panel van uh, pimped out with a, a little bed and table and stuff in the back of it and was perfectly comfortable in that. So now I know that I'll be able to uh, make the transition this fall. I'm, I'm moving from my 800 square foot house in Nashville to a 452 square foot tiny house on the Cumberland Plateau. So I'm really excited about. Um, Does that mean you have that. to shrink everything in your life? Like, I've already started. <laughs> well, I've lost shit. a few pounds and, yeah. I've, <laughs> and I'm shrinking. You a tiny house diet? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what I'll do is I'll, I'll come up with the new t- tiny house diet. <laughs> that's
1: great. And so, and so you're moving in, and uh, and a fellow activist, uh, you know, yeah, I don't yeah. know if you know, Linda Sherrill was yeah. actually arrested with the Enough is Enough group. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes.
2: Oh, wonderful, so wonderful. There. And she'll be my, um, she'll be the person I turn to f- up on the uh, Cumberland Plateau to kind of make me feel welcome and at home. And we've already made sort of plans to get together as soon as we can. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. <sighs>
1: Tiny house mm-hmm. Anna how do you feel
2: about you're buying a big big house not a it's not that big it's like <laughs> well you're young your 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 life is going to expand mine <laughs> I'm at the point in my life where I just want to take up a smaller and smaller <laughs> footprint on the earth mm-hmm. uh, but that doesn't mean that my voice won't get louder my voice will get louder as my <laughs> footprint gets smaller <laughs> <laughs> if that is not
1: a title of a tiny house memoir. I do not know what it is. I mean really. Yeah. Well, we're we're so happy to have you in here and I'm I'm sorry I didn't uh, introduce Dr. Paris in the beginning but um so Dr. Paris, I'm sorry Carol. Mm-hmm. It's it's a southern thing but also I just love women who have doctorates so I want to give you I know I know it's Get over it. Get over it. Thank you. Okay. All right, Carol. <laughs> so Carol and I actually know each other from an activist background, which she'll talk about. But she was the former president for Physicians for National Single Payer. Um, Physicians which is for a National Health Program. Health Program, PNHP. Please find them on Facebook, like them on Instagram and Twitter. Um, but they are the foremost proponents in the physician realm of Medicare for All. So um, Dr. Paris, sorry, Carol, would you like to tell our audience how you and I met?
2: Well, I think one of our very most important first meetings was um, at the rally that President Trump held uh, because he couldn't have enough. He wasn't satisfied with just pre-election rallies. He still has to have them post-election to feed his <laughs> ego, I guess. Um. <laughs> and did you know that that was the first day
1: of being employed at the ten- at my, at right, TJC really? and they brought us all into the room and they said Trump is coming to town we need to talk about health care and defending Medicaid and
0: um, you know I came I was on vacation at the beach and I came back early so that I could be there that's right that's right yeah. and yeah. they
1: actually came into a room and said we have one of our board members who's a quadriplegic mm-hmm. um and we need to escort him into the Trump rally and I actually raised my hand so that's why I was in there okay
2: well I was there because I it, the reason, I think people should understand, the reason Trump was having that rally in March, his goal was to put pressure on Bob Corker and Lamar Alexander to get them to support his first attempt at repealing the Affordable Care Act. So that was sort of the the main emphasis of his his visit. And I decided to go to the rally, and take advantage of the opportunity to bring more visibility uh, to um, uh, Medicare for All. And actually, I am i didn't really realize it at the time, but I now realize in looking back on it, President Trump was not the primary focus of my um, action that day. I'd been meeting with our Congressman Jim Cooper all through the winter and trying to um, encourage him at town halls and in meetings in his district office to sign on as a co-sponsor of H.R. 676, which the listeners should realize is the uh, old number for the original House bill that is um, the Medicare for All bill. Or expanded and improved Medicare for All. It was called HR 676 back in 2017 and for many years before that. Now it has been, uh, it has a new sponsor, Pramila Jayapal, and it has a new number this year, uh, which is 1384. So just so people will know when we're using the number 676 and 1384, those are just numbers of um, House bills, and they're actually the same, essentially the same bill, the Medicare for All bill. So at any rate, I'd been meeting with Jim <coughs> Cooper, and he kept equivocating, and he had never been a co-sponsor of, of Medicare for All legislation. And every time I met with him, I said, I'm organizing in your district, and I am not going to shut up, and I am not going to go away. And every time, you know, he would have a, a town hall, I would go and make sure I had lots of people in the audience with Medicare for all signs. And so here we are now in March, Trump's coming, and I thought, hmm, here's a opportunity for some political theater. And I had been to a Trump rally in, I think, Alabama, when he was actually running. I went to one of his rallies because I just wanted to see what it was like. So I knew that when I got there, I wouldn't be allowed to carry a sign in. Um, So I I rolled up a Medicare for All sign in the sleeve of my winter coat and just walked in and pretended like, And they didn't make me take my coat off when I went through security. So I got as far as getting the sign in. Then I had to position myself so that I wanted to be in full view of the president on his platform. But I also wanted to be where the press box could see me. And I wanted to be close enough to the floor, not way up high in the bleachers, so that if Things got a little dicey. The police could get to me and protect me. <laughs> um, and I was so fortunate to have a a resident from Vanderbilt who must remain unnamed. <laughs> we have a lot of anonymous anonymous friends <laughs> who, on this phone who call. agreed to uh, videotape the whole thing on her cell phone and upload it to my friend Dr. Margaret Flowers in Baltimore. So when the president did finally get around to talking about health care, I pulled out my sign, held it over my head, and started chanting, put your name on a plan that works, Medicare for all. And I just kept chanting that louder and louder and louder until the, it got to the point where he looked over, and his supporters were doing what they were trained to do, which is at a Trump rally, if you're around a protester, you're just supposed to start chanting Trump, 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 Trump. So I don't know whether he heard me or he heard Trump, 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 Trump. I heard you, you and were... I was down on the floor. Okay. So I, well, I, heard, I heard exactly what you were saying. And he looked over and— stopped talking. <laughs> so my claim to fame is I have made Donald Trump stop talking, if only for a nanosecond. We love it. We um, love it. And I've used Donald Trump. I took advantage of him because he really and truly was not the target of your action. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I never... <laughs> Not sure I appreciate that association, but that's okay. So anyway, the the video was uploaded to Margaret and out on social media before I even got home. And by the time I got home, a reporter from the Tennessean was interviewing me, and then the picture of me with the poster over my head appeared in the online version of the Tennessean. Uh, the next morning. So got lots of local good social media for Medicare for All. And I had a private meeting with Jim Cooper already on the books in his district office like a week later. So I walk in and I'm not didn't say anything about the rally. I'm just like, <laughs> you know, and, and I mean Jim's a he very professional, mm-hmm. all I absolutely can't say enough about what a knowledgeable and professional and absolutely upfront person he has been through the, through this. And he's the one who brought it up. He said, so uh, what, what was up with that uh, at the Trump rally? <laughs> I said, oh, you heard about that, huh? <laughs> and uh, I said, well, you know, I've told you, I support Medicare for all. I will take any and every opportunity I can find to bring visibility to this issue. And I'm not even unwilling to do something as outrageous as do a shout out at a at a Trump rally. I said it was uh, this isn't I'm not new to this. I knew exactly what I was doing. And I made sure I had a videographer, and that when you do political theater, you have to know what you're doing. And he just kind of looked at me quizzically, like, "You planned this?" And I was (laughs) like, "Yeah, I. This isn't the first time (laughs) I first rodeo. And he's the one who said this wasn't your first (laughs) rodeo." (laughs) I said, "Uh, uh, "No, sir. I've been doing this since 2009." I said, "I was." Actually, one of the people who was arrested at the Senate Finance Committee in 2009 when then Senator Max Baucus was holding so called public hearings, where he was inviting anyone who had a solution or an idea for how to improve our healthcare system to the table. 41 different groups and organizations and people were invited over the course of three different weeks but he would not allow anyone to speak about single payer. PNHP asked if we could send a spokesperson, uh Marcia Angel, Dr. Marcia Angel who was is the uh, a former editor-in-chief of the New England Journal of Medicine. So, a heavy hitter. And they said, "Nope, not interested." So, after the first—am I talking too much? No, no Dr. Okay. Dr. Farr, you are you are All a special right. guest. So we, are, we are captive after to the you. First, after the first of these three listening sessions or public hearings where they wouldn't let us have a seat, Margaret Flowers, my friend, called me up. I was living in Maryland at the time, and she said, uh, "What are you doing next Thursday?" And I said, "Well, That's I, all I, my debauchery." You know, <laughs> my- <laughs> I said, "Well, I thought I was working, but what did you have in mind?" And she said, "I want to go to the um, second hearing, and I want to interrupt it. And you have to understand that we'll be risking arrest." And this is I this said, federal,
1: "This is federal government. Yeah, this isn't,
2: yeah, yeah. you know, House Chamber Speaker right. Cassada. This um, is federal. This is the so big dogs." So I said, "With you, heck yeah!" <laughs> so eight of us met uh, at seven o'clock in the morning at Union Station, and kind of figured out what we were going to do. And what we decided, everybody dressed very professionally. So I had on my my black suit and my pearl necklace and my little black pumps. And I just looked as professional as I could be. And we all arranged ourselves in the audience in different rows, but all towards the center of the aisle so that it would take the Capitol Police longer to get to us. So we'd have a little bit more time to say what we wanted to say. So, Babaka starts the meeting and the first person pops up and says, you know, why aren't you allowing anybody from single payer to have a seat at the table? And he gets arrested. And Bacchus brings the gavel out and starts it again. And we're like whack-a-mole. So every time he gets started, another person pops up and eventually gets arrested. So I was number four. And I like to use humor. Um, I just think sometimes people will remember what you have to say if you make them laugh. So, and I knew I wouldn't have time to say much, so I stood up and said, I interrupt this so-called public hearing to bring you the following unpaid political announcement. Put single payer on the table. My name is Dr. Carol Paris, and I approve this message. (laughs) And the whole— Mic drop. Mic drop. (laughs) And the whole place, even—I even got Bacchus to sort of (laughs) snicker. Um, And I was looking right at John Kerry, because he was what made me think of it, because he had been— he had just been, you know, you know, doing a primary run for president, oh. and and I remembered all of his, you know, my name is John Kerry, and I approve this message. So that's what got me thinking about it, and it just it just popped out of my mouth, and the whole place burst out laughing, and then I got arrested. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I told Jim, look, I wait, you know, wait, wait, I just want to
1: pause for a second, and I think Anna would be helpful, just briefly, mm-hmm. you know why the basically the ACA and Medicare for all and why Obama settled on the ACA, I think would be helpful. I mean, if...
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I would like to hear your perspective on it. I mean, I was... We'll get back to middle but okay. yeah. well- <laughs> But just for our audience so, that are not yes,
1: health policy yes. nerds. In yeah.
2: 2009, remember, this was when we were considering how we... Barack Obama had just been elected president and the first major policy issue he addressed was health care. And the end result of that effort at health care reform was the Affordable Care Act. And while I am absolutely willing to acknowledge that more people have insurance as a result of the Affordable Care Act um, than did without it, The most important thing about the Affordable Care Act, to my mind, is the Medicaid expansion and the uh, establishment of essential health benefits. What that means is that an insurance company cannot sell a piece of something called insurance that actually doesn't cover the essential benefits that people need because people don't Necessarily know whether or not they're going to get pregnant. They don't know whether or not they're going to get cancer. They don't know whether or not they're going to end up in a hospital or in need of, you know, various kinds of health care. So the I think the most important thing about the Affordable Care Act is requiring um, that insurance cover the 10 essential health benefits and the Medicaid expansion. Unfortunately, the essential health benefits also means that because insurance companies have to make a profit, because that's really what their primary responsibility is, it's not healthcare. their fiduciary responsibility is to turn a profit. So if they're now required to cover things that they didn't used to have to cover, that means premiums are going to go up. Now, for people who get the subsidy, that's kind of a, okay, well, that's coming out of the government's pocket, not mine. So the people who really got screwed by the Affordable Care Act are people in the individual market who make too much money to qualify for a subsidy and yet are required to purchase Plans and can only purchase plans that cover the essential health benefits, except in Tennessee. Right. Because in Tennessee, they got a waiver to allow... um, For people to buy Farm Bureau insurance. Which is not insurance. You cannot even call the Farm Bureau plans insurance. The reason they got that waiver is because they don't even fall under the... um, Insurance, Mark, they're... The threshold. The threshold. I mean, they are not insurance. So they don't even have to meet the requirements of insurance. These association health plans. So they're called health plans, but not health insurance. So people can still buy this stuff that, you know, as long as you stay young and healthy, an association health plan may be good enough for you. But God forbid you get old and sick or sick and actually need the essential health benefits, you will find out very quickly that your association health plan um, doesn't cover it. it. And And you will be left holding the bag for a whole lot of money.
0: And it also segments out the risk pool. So you're taking uh, healthier people yes. who are more likely to buy the association health plan, younger people um, who can't have a higher monthly payment, and you're taking them out of what would be the individual market, driving up premiums. That's why Tennessee saw some of the highest premiums. That's absolutely right.
2: I'm glad you brought that up. Um, well, and I, and I think and when
1: I first heard that you were arrested during the ACA hearings, as you know, Anna and I were— on defense in 2017 when com- mm-hmm. Trump came after these, you know, Medicaid and the ACA. And so to be in such a defensive posture over these programs that you were protesting when they were enacted because of the concept, because you were saying there is a better, more progressive, more inclusive option that we can offer the people. And because I would say politically and socially, our country wasn't there yet. hmm there was so much backlash which is why you were arrested and please i don't want to
2: right no that's absolutely okay. true and and that's why i think that was then and this is now mm. and i think that the i think the american people are so much more savvy and also <sighs> unfortunately hurting as a result of the failures of the affordable care act To actually bring down the cost of healthcare. I I kept this open on my phone just so I could refer to it. We have a a wonderful, if you're interested in one nugget of important information about Medicare for All to show up in your inbox every day, go to www.pnhp.org forward slash. Q-O-T-D, which stands for quote of the day. Dr. Don McCann has been doing this for years. And so in my inbox every day, I get a Don McCann quote of the day about some aspect of healthcare and Medicare for all. And today's, it is the public's views on health care costs article in the New England Journal of Medicine, May 29th. And guess what the second most significant issue is uh, on the national agenda for people? It is the cost of health care, and it is only one percentage point behind strengthening the economy. So the American people, and this is not just Democrats, this is not just liberals, that's what's different now is that Conservatives, people who self-identify as as Republican, Trump supporter, whatever, they're realizing that the cost of health care is just simply unaffordable and that something has to be done. And I think that the message is getting out a little louder and a little more clearly thanks to... This podcast, and <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, uh, I'd like to take the credit for uh, got, Medicare for all passing. The,
2: but well, I I will give you due <laughs> credit. The, but the new Congress but, and but all the these new Congress women that are at the forefront of these exactly, conversations, who are elevating the conversation, and so more and more people are realizing that there actually is a solution out there. That not over not only achieves universality, which some of these plans that Anna talked about earlier, what I call faux Medicare for all plans, some of those could potentially achieve the goal of universality, meaning covering everybody, but they will never ever be cost effective um, because baked into them is the maintenance of the private for-profit insurance industry. And therein lies the problem. We cannot, and as Adam Gaffney, the new president of PNHP, says over and over and over again, look, we need doctors. We need nurses. We need hospitals. We don't need insurance companies. Health insurance companies do not contribute anything to our health care. And in fact, they contribute a tremendous amount of stress um, and financial burden without actually contributing anything positive to the health of the American population.
1: Well, in the argument, and you know, I subscribe to all of our Republican. Elected officials, newsletters, and they seem to be all uh, distributing the same talking points, which they're combating Medicare for all by one, you know, the fear, the inciting a fear, mm-hmm. but the fear around you will lose your individual plan. And the I, I, I laughed
2: at myself because I think <laughs> who your health insurance plan? Right? I mean, who who loves their health insurance? They do because it's, it's right, right. It's subs- but. Please take my private health insurance <laughs> plan, um, for heaven's sakes. Well, and back to, I just can't resist, Glenn Cassida published an op-ed. It was, his name was a, was signed onto this op-ed as if he wrote it. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you it had to have been written by um, a PR person at either America's Health Insurance Plans or Partnership For America's healthcare future, which is this astroturf, seemingly—I mean, listen to the name again. I'll say it again: Partnership for America's healthcare future. That sounds (laughs) those are words Republicans love. Doesn't that sound really good, America? And we're we're just we're just really out there to help you. Mm -hmm. Not Um, the. This organization is populated by AHIP, America's Health Insurance Plans, the American Federation of Hospitals, and I am so sorry and ashamed to say, once again, the American Medical Association. <sighs> yeah, that's right. You're, yeah. you're, in, good, you're in good company. <laughs> so um, Glenn Cassada signs his name to this piece that was just absolutely every talking point imaginable to spread disinformation about Medicare for All. So I opened the paper one morning this winter, and here it is. And I just went berserk and called David Plazas at the (laughs) Tennessean and said, you will publish my response to this, will you not? (laughs) So thankfully, David allowed me to um, counter this piece of what Wendell Potter, my good buddy, calls FUD. It's a FUD campaign, standing for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Mm. Fear, uncertainty, and mm. doubt. And you read this thing, and, and that's that's all it was was a uh, a way to in- create more fear, uncertainty, and doubt in the reader's mind. And no real information that is um, evidence based. So, and we're and I'm and
1: not to mm-hmm. return to Cooper, but here you have. And let me just set the scene for our audience members who aren't in Nashville, but we live in Nashville, the healthcare capital of the country. Mm-hmm. We have uh, HCA, mm-hmm. all of these healthcare companies that make their home here, and yet as a state, we haven't been able to expand Medicaid. We have Speaker Casada running these op-eds that are trying to, you know, incite fear, FUD, the FUD theory, um, to ensure that people don't move—what am I trying to say, Anna?
0: I think you're trying to say that there are a lot of things holding us back from being a healthy state and caring for— um people's healthcare. Right.
1: And uh-huh. and they tried to promote this. And so so here you have this, you know, Nashville, you have Representative Cooper, you have a Republican legislature and governor that refuses to expand Medicaid. So, you know, where does that leave you and this and Congress and this federal representative who
2: well, um, I'm happy to say that in 2017, Congressman Cooper, I think as a result of all of the people who were active throughout the fall and winter, thanks to Indivisible and other organizations who... TJC. TJC, who just brought more and more awareness and, and energy, not just to Medicaid expansion, but to actual Medicare for All. Ultimately, just before Easter Sunday, I think it was the Saturday before Easter. He had a Congressman Cooper had another town hall. And John Lozier, who is um, previously with the Healthcare for the Homeless and on the board of Healthcare Now, stood up and asked him again, point blank, will you co-sponsor HR 676? And he said, Well, as a matter of fact, yes, I will. And, Medicare for all has risen, you know, bless, and we we cheered and screamed and it was wonderful. Well, now it's 2019. We have a new bill and that and it's time to sign up again as a co-sponsor. And I'm sorry to say that uh, as of this moment, Congressman Cooper has not uh, signed on. We, I've met with him. He said early on he hadn't had time to read the legislation yet. That that excuse worked for a couple of weeks, but it's been a couple of months now. And um, what what do you think his reservation is around
1: re-signing the bill that he co-sponsored in twenty seventeen Well,
2: I don't. I, I would only be able to Speaking. guess at that. And my speculation is that it doesn't have anything to do with the actual content of the legislation. Mm-hmm. Um, I have said over and over and over again that. Politicians uh, don't lead, they follow. And I think a lot of people signed on as co-sponsors to the original H.R. 676 at a time when they didn't think Mm. it had a snowball's chance in hell of passing because it was a way of looking like a good guy with the liberal segment of their base. Particularly and, under
1: siege when Trump has just been elected right, and, right. oh, this is, but, here we have the ACA but being But now attacked.
2: that it actually has some potential and the people like Nancy Pelosi <laughs> are not only not co-sponsoring but are actively attempting to undermine it, I just think that creates a whole set of political issues um, and we need to once again... Either make it toxic for Congressman Cooper not to get on board with this, or is this where you announce your primary run against him? Because I'm <laughs> here for it.
0: No. <laughs> this is why we shut the doors. This is why yeah. we brought All Dr. Right. Paris.
1: This is
2: why
0: we brought you here today. <laughs> <laughs> no. There's a campaign team waiting outside the door. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh-huh. Surprise! <laughs> no, I'm not director. I'm I am not primarying Jim
2: Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think that someone or some number of people, think we need to be looking for an alternative. You know, he he clings to centrism
1: as an Mm -hmm. ideology. Mm -hmm. And he believes it makes him, the perception is that he's the adult in the room. Right. But... When you have this new Congress and these new bold ideas and, and, and millennial involvement in politics like we haven't seen since the 60s, the Green New Deal, I mean, he he's refused to sign on to the mm-hmm. Green New Deal. He's refused to sign on for Medicare for All. I haven't even seen if he has signed on to H.R. 6, which is the um, immigration reform mm-hmm. bill.
0: I, I think he's previ- or in the past had issues with immigration bills as far as not being supportive of them or following so here you have, on and and end. I think
1: it's just, and and I will say this is that I think Nashville is a much more progressive constituency than he believes, and especially uh, now, especially now with this new Congress. So mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm excited for the potential for someone to run against him and provide to to do an expose also on the city of Nashville and the issues that we're seeing at the local level, which is you know, we can't pay our teachers, our city is in debt. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, we have. A booming tour- tourism industry. Where is all that money going? Mm-hmm. And here you have a, a a congressional rep. You know, in contrast to Representative Cohen in Memphis, who's right. bringing KFC into impeachment. Here, I mean, <laughs> you, know, you know, and he's. It's just such a stark contrast. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, and I, and I, you have such a history with him. So, well, and
2: again, I I have great respect right. for Jim and for his his knowledge about health care. I mean, he teaches health care management at Vanderbilt when he's not in Congress. So it isn't that he doesn't understand all of this. It's a political calculation. It is a political calculation. I agree. And I'm just making it clear that I'm going to
0: work hard to make it to, to make it a calculus to change the change right. the politics and yeah. change the weather. I mean, it's already changing, but and you've done a great job.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just want to commend you. You've built Dr. Paris is going to be humble, but she's built this coalition of groups such as DSA, Indivisible, THC, the healthcare advocates mm-hmm. around Medicare for All, and saying we need we need a policy, a bold progressive policy that addresses the issues that we're seeing. And you know, the ACA didn't
2: cut it then, right. and THCC just recently brought Wendell Potter on a speaking tour all across the state of Tennessee, a listening tour. Mm -hmm. And I met Wendell as a friend of mine, and, and we got together while he was here in Nashville. And, you know, he just said, I hear over and over and over again that people are not, they're not managing with the Affordable Care Act. It's it's not enough. And yes, absolutely, expanding Medicaid as a an immediate first step, psh, that's a no-brainer. But we can't stop there because so much of Medicaid is privatized. It's it's Medicaid-managed care. Well, what does that translate to? That translates to insurance companies making a shit ton of money and mm-hmm. sending the bill to the federal government. And right. And I don't want my tax dollars being used to support the profit of an industry that serves no purpose in improving health. It doesn't improve my health. It just gives me a headache and drains my pockets. I don't understand why everyone isn't quite yet able to wrap their heads around it. But I will say that I'm also on the board of Business Initiative for Health Policy, which is an organization... Um, 501, I think. I don't know if they're a C3 or a C3 and a C4, but at any rate, it was started by Richard Master, who's the guy who uh, uh, produced the, the documentary Fix It Healthcare at the Tipping Point. Richard is the owner of a picture frame company, manufacturing company in Pennsylvania, and he is a businessman. Who makes the business case, dollars and cents, not about healthcare as a human right. He is all about we need Medicare for all because it is it makes the most sense from a financial, fiscal, responsibility standpoint. So he this organization is is beginning to draw in more and more small and medium sized businesses that realize that their ability to operate and make a profit is is H-hindered hindered by the fact, by that, the they fact that they have to provide health insurance.
0: And we've talked,
1: Anna's parents are small my, business owners. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And I grew I grew up on Medicaid and my parents were uninsured. So I have personal experience with mm-hmm. um what it's like and then with the ACA they were finally able to provide um insurance to their employees themselves and their employees. But it's Thousands of dollars a month, and right, it's very, very unaffordable. And I know even working in a nonprofit, the fact that they we have zero premiums is a testament to the fact that we do healthcare work. But also very, very hard rarer. financially, and rare and rare and rare for rarer, an and rarer to rarer offer a nonprofit. So, and
2: anybody who wants to learn more about that particular um, group. I think you can just google fix it healthcare at the tipping point. I think it's up mm-hmm. on YouTube. We'll now. put it in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. That would be great. So a, I have link a question to
0: it. Mm-hmm. um from your perspective, you know, I know industry so we'll include um you know the partnership, these these coalitions that have kind of formed around this but also the opposition to the ACA in the first place and they kind of had to dole out the the little I don't know what it, what it's called but um got like the pork for all mm-hmm. the different industries mm-hmm. and kind of mm-hmm. hedge on it and do this, you know imitation of Romney Care to try yeah. to get anything, to try to get any expansion of coverage. Um, and the industry was really hard to get on board. And the same thing seems to be happening with Medicare for all. so the the press on the United Health call um a couple weeks ago where one of the they were saying, well, this is just going to disrupt the doctor-patient relationship. And that was <laughs> just so concerned oh. for the consumer. <laughs> <laughs> that leaked out in the I think it was in the Washington Post but anyway so you can just feel the momentum building for um insurance companies and and other people who who make a lot of money off of our care right. being so expensive um and so i just want to get your perspective on that you know during the ACA fight I now what does just, it look like i
2: think just follow the money
0: mm-hmm.
2: and if you hear and if you if, if you hear something about Um, that doesn't quite sound legit, just do a little bit of homework and think to yourself, what's the agenda here? Who's profiting? I mean, I'm a physician, and I support single-payer, improved and expanded Medicare for all. Now, is that going to profit me? No. Am I going to lose money, actually? no, and that's one of the talking points that they try to use to say that physicians are going to take a 40% pay cut, sorry, that is absolutely not true. One of the first ways I will make, I'm retired now, but if I were still practicing, one of the first ways I would make more money with Medicare for All is that my overhead would go down Mm. significantly Health Affairs has published this study a couple of times. The most recent one says the average physician's overhead cost just to deal with multiple insurance companies is $100,000 a year. That's before you make any money. That's what it costs to deal with multiple insurance companies. So if I'd only have to send a bill to one place, my overhead goes down by at least 60 to 65%. That's a pay raise without seeing one additional patient. Add to that the fact that the another study shows doctors spend upwards of 10 hours or more a week just doing paperwork that they need to do in order to get paid. That becomes 10 hours I could actually be seeing additional patients and generating additional income. So... And yes, I may make slightly less than private insurance, some private insurance reimburses over Medicare rates, but I'll be making Medicaid goes away and Medicaid's a terrible payer. So I'll be making more on the patients who were previously Medicaid. I'll be making money on uninsured people who, when I was practicing and and a patient lost their insurance as a psychiatrist in a community that only had one psychiatrist, I saw them for free because it was just unethical to just throw people out there and say, well, you know, I can't see you. So I would much rather accept Medicare and whatever the Medicare rate is, who knows what we will make Medicare rate be whatever it needs to be in order to keep our physicians happy and practicing. So that's just another one of the lies that's part of the FUD campaign.
0: Fear, uncertainty, (laughs) and doubt.
2: And you know who's really savvy about this? This brings us right back Uh, around to to Anna being 25 years old. You know who else is 25 years old? Medical students. They're in their (laughs) 20s, and they are some of the smartest— most ethical, absolutely kick-ass people. I love medical students because they get it that they don't want to become mid and late career physicians who are just grumpy and burned out and exhausted from dealing with the bureaucracy of our healthcare system. And one of our PNHP, Physicians for a National Health Program, has a student arm called SNAP, Students for a National Health Program. I am so proud to say that SNAP has organized and now gotten multiple other organizations to sign on to a rally and protest and die in at the American Medical Association convention this Saturday, June 8th at 1.30 in Chicago. And Dr. Claudia Fagan, who is a past president of PNHP, will be one of the speakers. NNU, National Nurses United is behind it. Healthcare Now has signed on to it. Multiple other organizations. And they are very clear that they want the AMA number one to Disconnect from the Partnership for America's Healthcare Future. They want them to get out of that lobbying disinformation On yeah. onslaught. Yeah. And they want them to either support Medicare for All or continue to at least consider it and study it and not just write it off. AMSA, American Medical Student Association, last year was successful in at least getting a resolution through the AMA, you know, governance to study Medicare for all. So our medical students are working both on an inside effort through AMSA and sort of a more outside activist effort through Students for a National Health Program to make it clear that America's future physicians absolutely do not want the chaos and nonsense of our current healthcare system when they're practicing. And, and they're very clear that they want Medicare for all.
1: And it's, it's so inspiring. And to think, I get really upset with and you saw Nancy Pelosi do—or no, it was Feinstein mm-hmm. with the
2: younger talking children, down to, the- talking
1: down in a condescending manner to mm-hmm. these kids, talking about—and yes, youth, they're idealistic. But we have the understanding to see forward and that we are burdened by debt. We see that our healthcare system is not working. We see— Pollution everywhere. We we it's in our rivers. It's it's a it's across Tennessee right. in this state. And I think responding in a way, you know, the only way I know how to respond to is with idealism and activism. And that's what you're talking about to kind of this inside and outside strategy of activism, but also knowing the policy and kind of working on the inside to craft right. it and to push it forward. Right.
2: And incrementalism is not the solution. <sighs> Can you say that a little louder I don't think our producer heard you <laughs> <laughs> screw incrementalism <laughs> the be our second hashtag we but. don't have time for incrementalism right. people are dying now people are dying because they are they are rationing their insulin because they can't afford it really that is. That's criminal in 2019. In a developed when country. in every other developed country in this world. And I will tell you that I practiced for a year in New Zealand from 2013 to 2014. And I did that because I wanted to know firsthand what it's like to work in a country with a national health program. And guess what? You loved it. It isn't perfect. Oh. <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> Nothing is. That's right. It is so much better than what we do in this country. And they're doing it at a cost per capita that is less than half of what we are spending in this country. And they cover everyone, including people who are visiting the country. If I, I, if I, I actually did fall my third day in the country and hit my head on pavement. And as I'm lying there doing my own little mini neurologic exam, I thought, oh, thank God I'm in New Zealand. If I have to go to the hospital, it is completely covered. At home, I had a $10,000 deductible health savings account. Now, what sense does that make that I'm lying there wondering whether I've broken my neck or my back or my whatever. And the first thought I have is, Oh, my God, the cost. And then, oh, hallelujah, I'm in New Zealand. P- I'm telling you, if New Zealand spent per capita what the United States is spending, they would have the most fabulous healthcare system in the world. As it is, they are infinitely, their health outcomes are significantly better than ours are in the United States. And they're spending, again, less than half what we do.
0: And it's sad that even in America, you know, we've had physicians in our advocacy who have recommended to patients to move to Kentucky just so that they can get health insurance in the first place, mm-hmm. even go to the doctor. So that there's that much disparity. We happen to be in a state that, you know, has a rural hospital closure crisis. And right. we, have, we have multiple problems on top of already— um, Having a very expensive, ineffective healthcare system. Well,
1: mm-hmm. I think it's, and particularly in my role as a as a rural statewide organizer, I'm always thinking of ways to talk about Medicare for all in in the vernacular, in ways that are relevant to people in these communities that don't understand healthcare policy, mm-hmm. that just know that this is they're paying way too much for drugs, or, and and I think that's where. You know, particularly in the South, like I really think, and I can, I can like I'm just so grateful that you have been here. Uh, we've got a- another former president of um, PnHP in in Memphis, and and the fact that the South has re, you know has been a bastion for this these progressive healthcare policy and its leaders. Um, I'm just I'm very grateful for that because mm-hmm. i I've, I've learned a lot from you, and I think if we can see a little movement in the South, particularly with Perhaps priming Jim Cooper uh, or,
2: Jim co-sponsoring or Jim co-sponsoring. There we go. Yeah, this is the pitch.
1: The Representative Cooper, if you're listening to Grits, uh, <laughs> please co-sponsor <laughs> the bill. Well, we've just we have thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, so this is the time in the pod where we say what we're grateful for. So Anna, would you like to start?
0: Sure. So I am grateful that I get to see my entire family next week and. Big surprise! My sister is moving to Nashville. My little <gasps> sister. She just graduated college and she's taking a gap year before med school. So she's going to be living. So with enough me time for to radicalize her to become a Medicare for All <laughs> proponent. We'll see. Um, she kind of <laughs> just has her head in the sand, but maybe one day she'll Let's she'll be head. interested in healthcare policy like me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exciting. But yeah, yeah, they'll be here next week um, to move me in and to kind of move her in, and we'll see. This can be a fun summer.
1: Anna loves me so much that she's moving a few houses down from me.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, wonderful.
2: Unexpected. Uh, Doctor Par- Carol, what are you grateful for? I am grateful for our youth, just <gasps> for young the youths, the youths. <laughs> <laughs> for the young people who are so savvy. I'm just really struck by how savvy and what a good moral compass! So many of the uh, young people I have met um, working on this issue—they—they they just strike me as—I don't have to work that hard for them to get it. Even if they don't get it right away, it's just because they have a lack of knowledge. But once they get the knowledge base, which isn't that hard, they are so on board with it because they understand that it is. Simply both the right thing to do and the most cost effective fiscally responsible thing to do that those are not mutually exclusive in fact, they reach the same conclusion so whether you support Medicare for all because you think it's a human right or whether you support it because you're cheap and you want your tax dollars to be put to the best possible use it can the answer is medicare for all either way so i'm i'm grateful for um, hopefully your listening audience that
1: um, <laughs> <laughs> apparently spans over 30 countries, so uh, I found that out today. We found, Yay! Uh, we beautiful. have a listener in Russia, so probably Putin himself just <laughs> hey. chiming in, the grits uh, and I will say, in response to you, I am grateful for our elders because without you and Linda Sherrill and Ellen McPherson, who Ellen and Linda were both arrested for uh, oh, a Medicaid God sitting, uh, during Haslam's administration but to have all of you in in a one a space that is very close and proximal to me but also to you've just been such leaders in the activist space for activists like myself to see and say it's okay it's okay to get arrested for this it's o- it's okay to be outspoken about the issues that you're passionate about um, and so I just want to say thank you because I'm, I'm just very grateful for all of you. Um,
2: well, I I actually got a nickname when I was on my va- my vacation. I was telling some people at the campground about my some of my um, political <laughs> antics, and when I went to the bathroom, I came back and they said we gave you a new nickname, and I said, Oh really? What's that? It's mint jelly. I said, Why mint jelly? Because you're on the lamb. <laughs> 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 hashtag mint jelly. Okay. yeah! All right. I may have to be hashtag mint jelly. <laughs> you should t- change your Twitter handle yes. to mint jelly. <laughs> well,
1: um, so thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back in two weeks. We were – I was busy uh, being held up at the Capitol for a few weeks, so we'll get back <laughs> on our regular schedule. But please follow us on Instagram at Grits Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Grits Podcast and Facebook as well, and we'll have some promotional materials uh, to send out about this uh,
2: episode. And watch the, um, stay tuned on social media. Uh, this Saturday, June 8th, uh, the AMA protest is at 30 in Chicago. So we'll put in the links we'll, to we'll everything We'll put some links, links in about. there. Yeah. yeah. All right.
1: Well, we're signing off. Uh, Anna and Dr. P. Carol, we're grateful for you, and we'll see you later. Yay.
2: Right. Get gritty. Thank you so much. Keep it for- Let's get gritty. Yay. <laughs>